1: Welcome back to part two of this week's Pop Culture Confidential TV Extravaganza. Coming up on the show is an exclusive interview with Carrie Fukunaga and Patrick Somerville. They are the creators of one of the most anticipated new series of the fall, the Netflix series Maniac, starring Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. But first, let's talk about last season's TV and what just happened at the Emmys. Joining me again is journalist Alicia Lutz. Good evening. Hello,
2: good evening, good morning to you though Yes, very early, very dedicated (laughs) over here (laughs) Truly, you you should be winning some awards (laughs) (laughs) You literally just
1: watched the Emmy telecast and you're heading out to a big party So thank you so much for staying to recap the evening with us here Yeah, of course, it was
2: uh, quite the show this year (laughs) That proposal though Yes, the proposal, Glenn Weiss's proposal was adorable and definitely a highlight of the evening. Probably the highlight of the evening, if we're being totally frank on my part. It was not... A huge fan of this year's telecast.: Oh, that's too
1: bad. I love it. Let me just fill the people in on 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 Glenn Weiss before he won um, he's the director of the Oscars and he won for directing Best Right, and then he proposed to his longtime girlfriend on stage, which was incredibly sweet.
0: You
3: wonder why I don't like to call you my girlfriend because I want to call you my wife.:
2: Yes, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a highlight for sure.
1: But tell me what you missed, what you did not like about this year's
2: telecast. Well, you know, there was definitely a cognitive dissonance going into this year's telecast. A lot of people were not super thrilled with the hosts. And um, I think that the show kind of started off on a very rocky foot with the audience that is always gung-ho and excited for Mm -hmm. award shows. Um, And then sort of throughout the evening, it had this very kind of uncomfortable air because, you know, they made this, you know, the big opening number was about how they solved racism and gender inequality. And, you know, I'll look at all these people that are nominated for stuff and then most everyone that won uh, were white people. And, um, you know, great shows like Atlanta were completely shut out. Sandra Oh, who was a huge, huge favorite, um, I think most people really thought that she had that one locked for Best Actress for That's Killing Eve. That's the biggest snub of the evening for me. For sure. Yeah, um, you know, I think a lot of people were shocked by that. Um, it was, It was very... It just felt very tone deaf in a way that I think we've seen other award shows like the Oscars try to mitigate a bit. And this really showed that the Television Academy, for as many strides as they have made, really, you know, in front of the camera, to some extent, they're just not awarding those performances. And and it really sort of makes you think about who, again, are voting for these awards and, and what's sort of not crossing the conversation that's happening between critics and fans and the people that are actually voting for the awards
1: but uh, um, it was a big night for um, a few women I mean Marvelous Mrs. Maisel won a whole bunch of awards which was fun right?
2: Yes it was amazing um, to -hmm. see Amy Sherman Palladino get her due Um, she won two awards and uh, I believe is the first person to ever win the writing and directing award. Um, Yeah, let alone first woman. Yeah. Yeah, so it's incredible. I love Amy Sherman Palladino. I love Rachel Brosnahan. I love Alex Bornstein. I love that she got an Emmy award I think she's fantastic I think she's done so many fantastic things um, so it's really exciting and I think you know it's also really exciting to see Claire Foy, Foy you know it, it is I loved her in The Crown it is great that she won Best Actress um, she should have won last year maybe yeah. Best Actress for the season before of The Crown so Sandra
1: Oh could have won this year
2: <laughs> yes exactly that's how this should have gone I don't know why the Emmys haven't hired both of us to you know just figure this <laughs> right, out Right. This <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then interestingly um, it, it was a big night for Barry too which I think not everyone was expecting both Henry Winkler and Bill Hader won
2: in the acting yeah. categories for comedy yeah, I think Uh, I think Barry was one that it was kind of a surprise it won as much as it did I know that um, television critics love it I for one am shocked that Henry Wingler has not won an Emmy yet I know that's why I'm really
1: happy for him
2: (laughs) exactly you know I think a lot of these awards 40 years running yeah and I think that is actually kind of a theme for the awards this year was you you're not totally mad at the things that won because they are sort of well deserved but there is a lot of things where you're like no you know atlanta should have gotten so true sandra O should have won you know it's great that the americans won for you know a little bit you know to sort of get justice for them but it is you know as great as matthew reese's you know like carrie russell was that show in so many ways um so you exactly. know, it's it's a very it's a very conflicted Emmys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and
1: let's see what else was. Um, uh, yeah, you mentioned Matthew Reese. That was fun. And then the big uh, drama awards of the evening where it went to Game of Thrones, where I had actually. I was wrong in my predictions. I thought it would be Handmaid's Tale, but Game of Thrones makes
2: sense now. Yeah. uh, You know, I was also surprised by Game of Thrones winning. Mm -hmm. It's it's also not surprising uh, to the same accord. I think it was just such a big television year and arguably this season didn't land as as well with fans I think as other seasons. Um you know Peter Dinklage is always amazing but I think you know Nikolai Koster-Waldau really brought it last season like of all of the Lannister mm-hmm. kids um I mean you know obviously Lena Headey always brings it as Cersei but he really sh- shined um this past season. So yeah it it was um it was it's it was great to see Game of Thrones get something but again at the same time you you sort of go back and forth about it a little bit. Um, Yeah, and
1: I guess Handmaid's Tale wasn't as talked about
2: this season as it was last season. Yeah. um, Even though
1: I had predicted.
2: I think Handmaid's Tale was a little bit too real this season for a lot of people. And I think especially... Um, it was especially hard to watch when the episodes were coming out about having children taken away from their parents, when children were being taken away from their parents oh, here right. in the states. Um, Too close. It was a really, it was really, really hard to watch that show this year, mm-hmm. even more so than last year, which is really saying something because season one of that show was harrowing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was that one was sort of a surprise as well. <laughs> so we mentioned
1: the incredible proposal there. What were your best speeches of the night?
2: You know, I really liked Henry Winkler's a lot. Um, I Mm -hmm. think that uh, Merritt Weaver, (laughs) she can't top the... uh, She won for Godless. Yeah, she (laughs) won for Godless. Um, She can't top her speech when she won, I think, for Best Supporting Comedy a few years ago, um, which was just hilarious, and she just had to go. Um, Not a speech, but I loved Hannah Gadsby's sort of, like, slight troll (laughs) of... Comedy and and critics of uh, Nanette and her comedy special. I think that that was. What did she say? You know, she she said, you know, people don't know a lot about comedy, especially not men. Especially, you know, opinions about comedy, um, are 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 hard now. You know, just sort of talking about the post comedy uh, era. We want time. her to host next year. Oh my gosh, we would love her to host. I thought uh, Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph. Flick. I want them to host next year. Like we saw a lot mm-hmm. of. Uh, team ups um of people that it would be great you know oh Chrissy Chrissy Teigen and John Legend let's have them host the awards together yeah you know there
1: it it was funny to see that it it was it just goes to show that the hosts this year Michael Che and 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 Colin Jost were not really I mean I wasn't really I wasn't looking forward to them before and I don't think they delivered all that much right
2: yeah, I think they really tried to make themselves scarce because they knew that uh, there was a lot of kind of criticism coming their way. I think that's the whole reason they weren't even in the opening number. They, you know, they gave it to to Keenan and to Kate because everybody knows they're incredibly likable and wonderful <laughs> humans. Uh, that's so, very you know, sad. Let's I, send
1: someone else up there, even though we're the hosts.
2: <laughs> truly, yeah. I, I think that um, I'm glad that they kept it. They didn't. They didn't uh, get too trolly with it, you know. They weren't too antagonistic with the audience or the Twitter audience, which um, I appreciated. But uh, yeah, it was just so kind of flat and mm-hmm. and boring, you know. You you I found myself at several points distracted um, by just like noises outside of my apartment mm-hmm. instead of what was happening on screen because it was just so monotonous and uh, generally uninteresting nobody you didn't leave super inspired and excited um by any of the speeches in particular or any of the sort of uh like moments that happened maybe save betty white because everybody loves betty white Mm -hmm. and anytime betty white is around things are a little bit better in the world
1: (laughs) so the the craziest thing of the night what would you say i saw that you twittered
2: about teddy perkins in the audience you explain that teddy Perkins. Oh my gosh. Okay, so Teddy Perkins for people that don't know is a character from Atlanta played by Donald Glover. You thought Teddy Perkins was in the audience as Donald Glover, but maybe it was somebody else because then you know Donald Glover was up on stage and um it was as surreal and playful and confusingly delightful as Atlanta the show is. So I thought <laughs> it was really kind of perfect. Um and I it, it felt even more interesting to see when you see the shutout that happened for Atlanta this this evening
1: right right okay uh, Alicia just uh, on the ending note here your absolute favorite winner of the night for you personally
2: oh goodness gracious I'm gonna have to say hmm <sighs> man um, I didn't really, I, you know. I think that it's got to be Amy Sherman-Palladino for directing. I just think it's amazing that a woman won. I think that what she's done is amazing. I've always really admired her, whether or not you like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or Gilmore Girls. She has such a singular vision and style, and I think that it was really amazing to see her win that. And Henry Winkler, Henry Winkler is winning an Emmy. Is you know, if nothing else happened tonight, that happened. And that's a good it's thing. It's our childhood yeah. incarnate, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Alicia, thank you so much and have a great time at the party now. I'm very
2: envious. Thank you. I'm going to be very tired tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, so am I today. Very yeah. <laughs> <The Eric> true. <Trail. laughs> All right.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. And now it's time to talk to the creators of the wildly ambitious new Netflix series, Maniac. The show takes place in what seems to be a near future in New York City. We recognize it, but it's laced with things like a purple koala bear playing chess in Washington Square Park and a small robot that collects dog poop driving around. Jonah Hill plays Owen Milgram, who suffers from schizophrenia and he's one of the sons in an extremely wealthy Manhattan family. (coughs) Emma Stone plays Annie. She's a small time con artist trying to score pills and from there we enter a world of multiple universes
4: do you know where you are right now
2: i'm in a drug trial
4: what do you think is wrong with you i'm sick i don't matter what would you say this trial is showing you about yourself is this
2: therapy now
4: it's not therapy It's science. Once you begin to appreciate the structure of the mind, there's no reason to believe that anything about us can't
0: be changed. Pain can be destroyed. The mind can be solved.
1: Maniac is written by Patrick Somerville, a novelist who also wrote on the series The Leftovers, and it's directed by Carrie Fukunaga, who dazzled us with the first season of True Detective. He's also directed such films as Sin Nombre and Beasts of No Nation. I talked to Mr. Fukunaga and Mr. Somerville from London. So, Mr. Somerville, the funny thing was happening when I was researching you. I was reading an old interview. Tell me if I'm right here that you wrote your first short story in first grade and it was called If I Were a Molecule. That's true. <laughs> um, and like a story about traveling through inner space. And then like the minute after I had read that, I started watching the first episode and there was all these amoebas and molecules and like, oh, my God, this guy's gone full circle.
3: I'm still stuck on that same idea. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's just, he <laughs> just keeps turning out the same material. My first and second books are also called If I Were a Molecule.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, well, both of you have worked a lot with sort of people dealing with extraordinary situations in many of the shows that you guys have done and movies. What appealed to you with this particular story?
3: I think what felt special about this story to Carrie and I both was was the the chance to make a show that kept reinventing itself every every episode that that was both new that was populated by people we got to know and got to care about but it almost felt like a new show every time uh, the credits would roll so it, that felt different that felt exciting.
1: Mhm. And Carrie.
4: Yeah, I mean there, there was that aspect, and I think also just the diversity of, uh, of, of those uh, uh, delusions on top of telling a story about um, you know, two characters that are they're quote-unquote imperfect people and, and what companionship means, I think, in a world that feels so isolating. And then
3: let me just add one more thing, too. The show, the show in a lot of ways, is about the mind. And, and not just the brain, but the mind. And I think that that, that, that was just interesting to us as well. Um, not, not just because it gave us all these chances to explore the imagination, but it really does feel like the, the, the 21st century is going to be the century where we dig deeper and deeper and deeper into our understanding of how the brain operates and makes our identity and, and, and is sort of the core of ourself. And I think there's just something uh, about that to me. I, can I, I need to throw a side story in, too. The same year I wrote, If I Were a Molecule, my dad came to my first grade class and brought a brain for show and tell. He brought an actual brain.
1: Wow. To
3: show the kid. It was actually really disturbing to everybody.
1: May I ask what your father did? What was his profession? Uh,
3: he was just a shoe salesman. Kidding, I'm a joking. Brain. He was a neurologist. Um, mm-hmm. But...
1: Well, see, you did come full. Go ahead.
3: I just think that, that the brain is a fascinating thing, and I think that Carrie and I both both were into it for that reason too.
1: It's such an interesting concept, though, when you're talking about the mind, sort of this, the fact that um, if we can eradicate human pain forever, um, and I'm just thinking today with sort of opioid crisis and self-medication, did you guys see sort of parallels to um, how we're trying to self-medicate and and... and if this is something that could go be for real, this quest to eradicate pain—I
4: mean, the—I the, don't—I don't think either of us believe that that eradicating pain through a, a three-day process is necessarily the right thing. But I think that our obsession with that is what we're ta- we're commenting on. Our obsession with this idea of perfection and 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 perceived perce- perse- perfection in a world, especially a social media world, that. Uh, everyone else's lives somehow seems better than our own based on what they're uh, Mm -hmm. um, advertising as their life and um, how we value ourselves and our experience and our families and the people connected to seems to um, actually be diminished with technology and so I think the show is just kind of in a a very alternate way looking at that critiquing it maybe but also uh, um, um Trying, I think, to to, to humanize um, people who are suffering with mental illness and not make that like a joke, but actually de- uh, destigmatize mm-hmm. uh, what that means.
1: Right, right. The character is named um, Milgram. Is there? Is that by chance, or were you thinking of the Milgram experiments?
3: We were thinking of the Milgram experiments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the in the way I, that that those particular kinds of social experiments that are no longer even considered ethical created all of these dramatic situations that Carrie and I both loved um, and and there's there's moments along the way in the series where little little elements of, of Milgram experiments are playing out and dramatized by the show we were both sort of just fascinated
1: Mm-hmm. Carrie, you were, you're such a visually um, intense and great director on I mean, all the projects you've done. What was sort of your mood board for this one?
4: I don't ever do mood boards, but uh, my production <laughs> designer uh, on on this job and on True Detective, uh, Alex DiGiolando, um and I spent a lot of time looking at references uh, for our sets and locations, and I think trying to through imagery really get a grasp of what this world could be because it's not based on anything real because we're really creating everything from the ground up uh, including Neberdeen and the delusions uh, and our right. our baseline reality world it's so the, the possibilities are limitless which can seem overwhelming so I think having someone like Alex and his researcher uh, and our sort of uh, creative team sit together and, and sort of through a variety of images deselect and select and sort of hone in on something um it was a it was a really fun part of of the whole project um
1: what were some of the references you speak
4: i mean they were from so many places and and they weren't just artists they were just sometimes they were just like photographs of real places and and uh um, colors and, and, and computer systems and, from the 50s, and, and yeah yeah, just everything, everything you can imagine uh, in terms of imagery, and it was just a curate a curation project really
1: mm-hmm. because that, especially in the sort of laboratory that's those are some amazing sets I really thought that was incredible, something I'd never seen before.
4: The lab took a long time, I think to, to land on the, the building itself, the lobby, and then the lab C were, were probably the last things that we really were able to, I think, hone in on. Because what I was looking for in this particular case was was something that felt sort of like a, a Melville-esque vision of the future, even though it's not really the future, it's the present tense. But also, I didn't right. necessarily want too much mid-century. So it was, it was like playing with like 80s technology, uh, brutal right. uh, brutalism, and and then and then just pure sort of like functionalism, especially as Neberding is actually a Japanese company the the philosophies of how those companies would work and then how the spaces would, would operate all of us came from a kind of a logic. so uh, that that was actually finding that logic was a, a big part of that um, research.
3: I'll also throw in the the design of that lab was was critical in another way, which which was we needed to be able to tell, the story of the odds, their time there, the conversations they had one another, their sitting at the table, their little moments together in the pods, their little moments looking at each other from the chairs. All of that was kind of critical to the background story right. of Annie and Owen's relationship that was being told. And so uh, all, all of that stuff um, was a, a part of the soup, part you know, more ingredients thrown into that soup uh, of the design in the lab.
1: Um, you were mentioning before that the show, is, of course, is taking a very, um, in its way, serious look at mental illness. And um, what kind of research did you do for that, Carrie?
0: It was
4: a collab- that was definitely a collaboration. We had consultants uh, on the psychiatric and psychological front. Uh, also, mm-hmm. uh, Patrick's wife is a uh, therapist. Yeah, as you mentioned, she was our consultant. She was also a <laughs> consultant. <laughs> Sometimes there are moments when like you know I might have a more critical perspective potentially on, on the therapy world, and Patrick'd be like, "I still have to go home to my wife." <laughs> I know, I would actually just say,
3: and tell me more about why you feel that way <laughs> <laughs> At the outside of the uh, of the writing process for the show, too, I, I um, did quite a lot of reading as well as consultation um, with with professionals about not um, so much the actual I don't know, mechanics of hallucination, which was, 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 sort of a little bit we, we did our, a different thing for the show, but most of the research and reading went into kind of the emotional experience of getting that diagnosis of schizophrenia, the impact it has on family, the, the impact it has right. on what it's like to try to live a normal life after you've been stigmatized in that way. Um, the social anxiety that comes along with it, the, the problems that the medications introduce into one's life, you know, the basically the fallout of that diagnosis is what we're we're really interested in, because we want to tell a story about what it's like to live after getting a, a diagnosis like that, as much as what it's like to have a brain that operates that way, what it's like to just try to be in a world with other people. Um, so mm-hmm. that that's where a lot of the, the research happens.
1: Uh- and what was, I know that it's a big question, but what was one of the most profound things you learned about what happens when you get that diagnosis?
3: To me, this, the idea that I, I keep coming back to that seems very devastating is this idea of misattunement. Um, and what it means is that you can be inside a family system of uh, uh, people ostensibly loving you and supporting you still, but you can somehow become invisible nevertheless inside of it. You can, you can be missed mm. and not seen. and People who care about you don't know what to do with you. And that starts to accumulate. You can feel that. You can feel the, the sense that people don't want you in the room. You can feel the sense that, yeah, you got invited to the dinner, but everybody kind of wishes that it was just the other, the other kids and not you. Right. Um, and that has a devastating long-term impact on people, being made into the other. Um, because because you have a mental illness diagnosis, so that's what got me.
1: Um, I understand that you guys threw away all the scripts that you had three months before production was about to start. Now that must have freaked a few people out. <laughs> what happened?
0: Well, we? <laughs>
4: <laughs> we didn't have that much time to create the show once the kind of window opened up for uh, Jonah and Emma's schedule, so. Patrick and I had kind of been like at a, at a nice pace, like pumping out you know ideas for scripts, and he was writing the scripts, and and then at a certain point, like, oh no, we got we're going to be shooting this fall. We got to get these in and budgeted and scheduled and everything else. And so there was a period of time where where there was a lot of, of of writing going on and 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 ideas being thrown out and ideas being rejected and and trying to figure out what the show was, and th- that meant that there's a lot of people sort of in holding patterns. In terms of like making those scripts turn into something we could shoot on camera, uh, you know, right. kind of waiting, and that was kind of the process through the entire production.
3: Yeah, I think that in any in any good collaboration, there's a lot of back and forth, and this is true of almost every TV show. Um, it just right. you know, I think along the way we we were under a lot of pressure and honestly super excited about many different ideas and directions that we could go that that. There was just, uh, yeah, I think a good, healthy back and forth about what to do. That once, once Carrie and I got into the same city, became became a lot, a lot easier to to move forward on.
1: Right. But you don't mean that you started anew three months oh, no. before. No, okay.
3: <laughs> we we changed some ideas about how to tell the story, but I think the emotional through line of Annie and Owen kind of was always there mm-hmm. and always the the core right. of right, what right. we were going to do.
1: Now, in, in the research about um, you, Mr. Fukunaga, there's, there's always people mentioning your incredible attention to detail um, and that you're not interested in, in doing something and if it if, if is, isn't perfect. Um, I was wondering, um, Patrick, if you have any examples of, of one of those incredible um, instances where Carrie's like, no, this is what I want.
3: How much time do you have? How long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I have all the time in the world. you guys don 't have a lot of time, <laughs> but give me a good one
3: uh, We rebuilt the poop bot three times and and oh yeah yeah, and and i don 't know if you remember how how much uh, airtime the poop bot gets in the show <laughs> but uh there there is a a man uh, <laughs> who had to go home after his first pass at the poop bot, take it apart, rebuild it again, and bring it back and show Carry, and then do that a third time until it was right but I, I kind of love that.
1: Well, I, I love that perfection. I mean, why do something at all if you don't do it well?
0: <laughs> Christina, we have to finish.
1: Okay. Well, thank you um, very much, Mr. Summer. Mr. Fnug. this is so interesting, and congratulations on the show.
4: All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much to Carrie Fukunaga and Patrick Somerville. Maniac premieres on Netflix on September 21st. And thanks again to Alicia Lutz for that great Emmys recap. And thank you so much for listening. And you can reach out to us on Twitter, Pod Pop Culture, on Instagram, Pop Culture Confidential, and of course through the webpage, popcultureconfidential.com. And you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, for example. And make sure you leave a rating. That really helps us out. This show was edited by Katrine Lundell and I'm Christina Jerlingbier. Thanks again for listening.
0: Coming up on Five Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis.